0: Thanks for tuning in to the Organic Farm Stand, which comes to you the first and third Thursday of each month from 12 to 1. And uh, we are delighted to say that we are cruising through the fall with amazing weather. I want to introduce our uh, wonderful guests today, regular panelist, Guy Beardsley. Guy, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Obviously, my pleasure, sir. (laughs)
0: Indeed. Uh, Mutual. And we have a special treat today because uh, Guy Uh, At Guy's location, there's an extra phone, and he went out and found somebody to use that phone. Uh, It's not Janelle, uh, but it is somebody who uh, can easily substitute for Janelle, and that is our most dear friend, Suzanne Dusing. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure, and it's really a compliment to be uh, put in the same category (laughs) as Janelle. I admire her greatly. She does Amazing work and is so knowledgeable, so i 'll do my
0: best <laughs> oh you have uh, you have uh, more than uh, the ammunition to uh, to carry on to well, this, thank you. this show <laughs> so thank you so much for being with us. okay well, we have a, an action packed show today because in addition to guy and Suzanne um, Chris may arrive Chris Ferriero may arrive or not we it's always a, um, a wild card but My name is Richard Hill, and uh, we will have another special guest on the show today, and that is Katie Poole from Masaro Family Farms in Woodbridge. And so she'll be joining us about the half hour point or a little before. So that will be great to hear about all the activities going on there, how they have uh, worked through this uh, crazy situation we're in with the pandemic uh, over the course of the summer how that affected their operations, and what they are trying to put back in place as we go through the wonderful fall season and uh, with all kinds of activities there that they're trying to plan. So we'll be hearing about that starting at about 1225 or so. Katie Poole from Masaro Family Farm. So let's get started with uh, Guy and uh, Suzanne. Jump in whenever you can can or like to.
1: Okay.
0: And um, Guy, what's, uh, what's the small... Th- farm uh, perspective. Yeah, going Uh, on.
1: Well, we actually enjoyed about an inch and a half of rain on Tuesday, which was very much appreciated, and uh, therefore, uh, all our green manure crops are functioning very well, both the peas, oats, and vetch mix, as well as the winter rye, all organic and all uh, doing just famously, and so uh, we're going to turn those under. Uh, later on, in the uh, when we get ready to plant garlic, and uh, that will be done, you know, about two weeks before you need to really get the planting done, because uh, it takes about two weeks for that uh, that uh, green manure crop to decompose to the point where it pr- really provides a great amount of nutrition for what you're planting, and uh, it will also have a considerable decomp- decomposition. But I must to say, we also. Have uh, with with Suzanne's great help, we have a huge supply of garlic, and um, we have some of it has been already transformed into black garlic, and uh, we have quite a good supply of black garlic that uh, is a, is fastly fast turning over because there's a lot of people that are interested in it and uh, have convinced themselves as and as I have tried to make that uh, they, it is a very good anti-flu uh, way to approach life. And nevertheless, um, we also have uh, lettuce, carrots, and beets, which are functioning these days. And so that's been a, In fact, I, I just cooked up some beets last night, leaving them whole and uh, leaving them in the pan and uh, take a fork, uh, stick the, the fork into the beet and eat around the fork and um that's uh, the way to uh, get your beets that's 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 not necessarily a real social way to do it but uh it it works for me right and uh, therefore we do that
0: Wait, wait so do you you put them in a frying pan
1: no 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 I'll put it would boil, boil it i actually oh, okay. i don't boil it i sti- i leave the uh the heat on at about a uh, simmer and uh, just like, because I don't want to boil, you know, if you start boiling anything, it starts yeah. taking out nutri- nutrients. Doesn't it take an awfully long time to steam them whole like that? Uh, usually around 45 to 50 minutes. Oh, that's
2: not too bad. No. me. Uh, maybe
1: it's the roasting that takes forever. Oh, it? if you wanted to roast it, <laughs> you could do that, too. But yeah, that I puts, have done it. It took hours. It I mean, put too much heat on it, from my view. Yeah, so yeah. We leave it at a simmer, and, um, you know, and then just eat around a fork, uh, just fine, I can give Suzanne uh, some of that if she wants to go that route uh, after we get finished with the well, call. Well, I, I juice beets. Um, I juice beets and carrots and uh,
2: celery and parsley and apples and turmeric root and ginger root and apples. And you uh, put, you mix that all up in a... A juicer. I have a juicer that uh, Bill picked up by the side of the road about 45 years ago. It Good heavens. Felt like a jet engine. I don't think it hasn't have a piece of plastic on it. You can barely lift it. <laughs> and so I, you know, I pulled it out of storage about 10 years ago and I've been juicing fairly religiously um every other day, you know, I make enough for two days and you know, the second day is probably not as Vitamin is rich as the first, you know, because it's been refrigerated even though it's been covered. So i that's kind of like my flu uh, approach. You know, I mm-hmm. approach to healthy avoidance of the the flu and
1: all the other nasty viruses. So, so what we hope is that the radio audience will pick up on what Suzanne has just said because that is one way to really use the organic materials that you have available and uh, put them in a very good, easy-to-use form. Exactly. And, um, and you know, and you've got every, almost everything you need. For right the whole there. day. That's yep. kind
2: of how I feel. You know, in the morning when I have juice, you know, I feel that no matter what I eat the rest of the day, not that I don't care to eat healthy food, but uh, I've gotten what I needed you know, for that particular day.
0: Why don't you run down those ingredients again? That was Oh, sure. Good.
2: Okay, let me see. I got them all. Okay, carrots and celery and beets. Um, the, the celery and the beets are very effective in controlling uh, hypertension and blood pressure. They're great regulators. And I got that information from... Um, What's her name? The Bell naturopath. What's Alice Bell in in oh, yeah. uh, Woodbury? Mm-hmm. Turned me on to that, and so so it's uh, carrots are because you know they're they're good, but they're, you know they're very sweet, and that helps counteract some of the other things. So carrots, celery, and beets, and then turmeric root, which I get at Common
1: Ground or Time and Season. You know, you have to grow. You have to take that turmeric root and grind it up. No, it right? goes
2: right through the juicer. juicer. Oh, it the does. That's comes right. right out of it. Good show. And then a big chunk of ginger as well for digestion. Yeah. Do and you, then do parsley. Do you peel parsley.
0: the ginger first?
2: No, no, I don't I don't peel anything. Okay. Um, uh, everything's got I wash the carrots very carefully because interestingly enough I just bought 20 pounds of carrots from Steve muno at Masaro Oh, farm
0: okay.
2: <laughs> and they they require much more washing i not no complaints believe me i don 't <laughs> mind washing the dirt off actually it 's refreshing to find dirt on carrots <laughs> and um you know I, I give them a good wash, and then the turmeric root is you know not something you can get in conventional supermarkets. You have to get that at Whole Foods or you know some health food store a few i 've mentioned and then um uh, this is all organic. Everything in it is organic, uh, needless to say. And then um, uh, g- apples, I put uh, uh, one apple in there, sliced up for for sweetness. And, you know, an apple a day, I still believe that that's probably true. And um, I think that's everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and
2: You make up enough. How much do you make? Uh, well, I, it's a huge bowl. You know, if you were making... You know you know huge bro it makes um actually makes a pint ah. and then i i drink one cup uh with you know that morning's
1: breakfast yeah. and then I refrigerate the other cup well that, that and she looks beautiful, oh Richard guys right <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting in the same room here, <laughs> yeah. aren't you sweet? I don't hear that very often, so, uh, you know, it's very nice to hear that. Well, to continue, uh, we have, I just got through pruning my, ras- my, blue, my red raspberries, and uh, as I was pruning them, I was eating the very last of the fall products, products of the red raspberry growth. And, uh, you know, they are really good. Actually, I think the fall raspberries on the same plant are better than the spring I raspberries. I agree. I've always felt that. Well, And so anyway, we've done that. And I'm now in the business of uh, a really miserable job, a lot of work anyway, trimming out the blackberries And uh, oh. because they grow so fast. And uh, even though we have... Landscape fabric around the blackberries. We've got something things like mugwort, which seems to be able to grow up through two layers of black of that uh, landscape fabric. Right. So this is. I may ask you: Is Chris on board?
0: No, un- he's not. He's not here today. Okay. I, I don't think he's coming.
1: Th- All right. Well, I- then that's good. Yep. Uh, I have to say that uh, getting the field ready for the garlic. Uh, that is, with the green manure crops and uh, keeping the uh, the weeds down or getting the weeds turned over so that uh, they're under the ground. But, you know, that whole area was really loaded with white clover. It was even some pink clover in there, but white clover. And... Uh, and I was turning it over, I kept thinking about Vincent K.'s mm-hmm. thoughts that the, his bees like the white clover and don't like the red clover because mm-hmm. they can't get their whatever they get, uh, whatever they use to get the pollen that? and nectar out. uh can't get into the red clover so much. But there was a lot of good clover there, and so that uh, that's turned that under so that uh, the the clover roots which provide a good bit of nitrogen sources uh, are, are are tremendously available and so anyway that's what we're going to do so let's see in addition to that we have um, we have janelle's flowers which are really great even though it's uh, somewhat late in the season. There's a lot of really great color in those flowers. And you haven't
2: had frost yet
1: here, no, either. No, no frost. I in not, e- not even close.
2: It's amazing. Yeah,
1: It's and, amazing. And, and, and I don't, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we don't never need to see frost. Oh, with you. But uh, we're going to get it. We <laughs> will, obviously. We yeah, get the flower it. garden is magnificent. Yeah. Just so I took
2: a stroll through earlier be- when I first got
1: here, and it is just a sight to behold. <laughs> I've got to say that. Uh, that We're just now finishing out the tomatoes in the field. But in the greenhouse, uh, we actually call it a hoop house, the tomatoes and the carrots are really good. And uh, we're taking full advantage of the late-season capabilities of using a greenhouse. And I'd like to make sure that the radio audience knows that greenhouses really extend the season on both ends really well, and uh, we, I think we're getting at least two weeks on each side, each end of the season with uh, with the hoop house. So anyway, that's uh, what we're doing in that business. Uh, Guy, can I just c- clarify something about the difference between a hoop
2: house and a greenhouse? Go ahead. Because a greenhouse, I think, is kind of like... Uh, overwhelming for someone to consider who has a you know just a backyard garden where you got to have power where where and, and also you know it's just a daunting proposition whereas a hoop house anybody can create a a a covered situation it's kind of like the top of a covered wagon you know you can get the hoops and then just cover it with remay this uh, cloth or you know when it gets really really cold a blanket or hmm. you know and that will extend your growing season uh, without a lot of expense or fuss. And, and you can do it in a backyard garden. You can do it on a farm. We used to have rows of uh, hoop houses uh, where we grew um, crops as, as long into the winter as we possibly could at the old solar farm years ago. So. Now,
1: Suzanne, when you, you and Bill used to raise chickens. Yes. Uh, uh, this is uh, chickens for eating. Yes. Not, not and for eggs. Had, and eggs. We and, had both lay eggs yeah, right. and meat births. Now, did you use the hoop house for the chickens at all? Uh, at one point, we used an old
2: greenhouse for the chickens. Um, we did um, sometimes put them in hoop houses, very big ones. So you know, so at, but at night you can't leave them in a hoop house because you know they need to be in a very you know almost like lockdown because of all the predators. You know, there's. You know, I don't want to start naming all the things that like chicken as well as we do, but there are a lot of them out there, and they roam around at night. And we lost a lot of chickens, so you, you learn how to really create a safe space for them.
1: You yeah, know well, I, mean? I had the same problem with turkeys, and probably yeah. Dan has the same problem with turkeys. Yeah, up well, he's built, he's built, like, uh, fortified places. They're really
2: secure because he's raising, my son is raising a lot of chickens now up in, up in
1: Bloomfield, and good. Joe, um, so, is he? Uh, is he in the? He's in the business of selling them too. Right? Oh yes, he is. Right. So you want to give uh, give him a little publicity here? Oh
2: sure. If you're interested in, I didn't know we were doing that, but um, <laughs> uh, it's okay with you, Richard.
0: Yeah, on this uh, kind of uh, uh, what do you call it? Cottage it? Yeah. cottage yeah. Well, distribution. if, if yeah.
2: you you know if you want to find out about that, you can. You know, you can uh, text Guy or me, you know, or, or you know, email this, you or someone, and we can let you know. And how
1: does one text you?
2: Oh, now, maybe it, it should be email, you know. thing <laughs> um, at com. You know, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I'd rather get an email than a phone call or a text, actually. Okay, good. So, So, you know, my name is fairly easy to spell for...
1: It's It's
2: two Zs, right? No, one Z, two Ns. (laughs) Okay, so I'll spell it. S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-D-U-E-S-I-N-G at gmail.com. So that's enough of that publicity. But anyway, go on, Guy. I interrupted you. No,
1: no, no, no. Your interruptions are always welcome. Thank you. Absolutely.
0: Well, I'm going to interrupt one time. So I want to ask a question about uh, one more follow-up on the hoop house. So, Suzanne, you were mentioning... It's easy to build you put your you know you put your your uh, brackets in and you yep. know and then you cover it with um you you want it to be uh translucent obviously yeah
2: remay is what I've always used it's a synthetic uh, material that's very lightweight but it's the same stuff you cover like the the brassicas of to keep the flea beetles off in the early spring right guy you yep. know mm. um uh, do you know what it's made of? It's some synthetic material.
1: It's a, it's a spun. It's spun. That's right. It's spun in. Uh, it's essentially a, a glass type sp- uh, spun. Right. Right. But uh, it, it's uh, you just don't want to get a whole bunch of it uh, mixed up with you, just because it uh, is irritated if if you get it on yourself and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like fiberglass. Use, gla- you know, gla- yeah, use, yeah, use uh, gloves. Use gloves.
0: And so can you reuse that from season oh, yes. to season? over yeah. and
2: over and uh-huh. over and over again.
0: Okay, great. And then, you, and then, as you said, as it gets colder, when you put the blankets on, what are you trying to do there because, obviously, you're not letting light well, in? Well,
2: just keep the heat in. And you don't have to put the blanket over the whole thing. You just have to have a spot where, you know, um, to keep, you know. Once it starts to get, you know, 15, 10, for, for several days in a row, your crops are going to start giving it up, you know they're going to be, but if you cover them in the you know in the evening right. at night and then take it off in the in the warmth whatever warmth there is of the day, you can extend it you know you'll start to see some very tired looking plants at some point, and then you'll stop you know it just you'll just
1: say, okay, it's winter. <laughs> Enough of this, right. <laughs> uh, Richard. Uh, there is a term called pollinator pathway. Yeah. and Yeah. I'm not sure you're familiar with it. Oh yes.
0: Yeah, we have we've had uh, s- s- spokespersons on yeah, that. Yeah, we did. Yes.
1: Yeah. No, Dina Brewster, the uh, executive director for Connecticut NOFA, is actually the individual uh, who is uh, the primary source for the pollinator pathways and I thought maybe I'd uh, and I'm changing the subject a little bit for the next program I thought maybe I'd try to get Dina to talk about pollinator pathways because this is a time of year that you want to prepare to do this get these pathways set up
0: yeah that, that would be excellent to do that it would be great to talk to Dina anyway Dina is a,
1: a great yep. person, anyway, can talk about many things. You yes, know. she sure can. She's okay, well, quiet. anyway, I thought I'd do that. And then I, I told you earlier, uh, I was trying to get a hold of Mark Castle, who is uh, in charge of uh, what he developed from his experiences with uh, the uh, cornucopia. But mm-hmm. he actually runs something called Organic Eye and that's uh centered in uh, Washington DC uh close to uh you know the USDA and this sort of thing so uh anyway uh, he's another guy I want to try to get on a on the program he uh, he started cornucopia and uh, then he and his executive director left cornucopia and started this organic eye. And there's probably, I don't know the background on why he left cornucopia, because they seem to be still functioning, although uh, Mark says that they don't have a an executive director there yet. Although they may have one now, but uh, when I talked with him last, they didn't. Anyway, I thought we'd try to get Mark Castle too because uh, he's got a, a really good insight as to uh, how D- USDA is uh, changing the organic situation uh, around the, uh, <clears throat> for all of us. Mm. So Yeah. Uh, got to keep track of that.
0: that. Great ideas. Uh, one you want to s-
1: call? You want to call Katie now, and uh, um, we'll, we'll yeah. continue.
0: Let me let me give you one question to uh, chew on before I uh, get on the phone. And get Katie up here, um, and that is, uh, Guy. Tell us a little bit about, and this I think apply is going to apply to all small farms and folks who usually market themselves in farmers' markets, uh, which I presume are now winding down. But um, how? how many how much of your produce like you mentioned lettuce do you still have kale that's coming from your uh, either outside or or your uh, greenhouse
1: no doubt about it. Actually, actually, the kale outside now oh, it's is better than the mm-hmm. kale inside. In fact, I don't even cold. have any kale in the greenhouse right now. The kale outside, because the flea beetles are no longer around. Yeah, this are, is the time to, of year to grow kale. Yeah. Oh, it is. Uh, the kale is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely, and uh, the plants are big. You know we got the curly ends, and then we got the straight ends kales and so forth. but you know there has not been a huge demand or really a significant demand for kale during the growing season this year. I don't know if Suzanne had the same problem or not well
2: um I think people are maybe kaled out, but if they if they get into making kale chips routinely, I made yeah. a whole uh, Dan gave me a huge you know bouquet of um lacinato cabbage which is a kale it's um dinosaur the other name you see in the supermarket Mm -hmm. um and you just it's so easy you just cut the kale the stems off and then you break them up or cut them with a knife and you know coat them in a little olive oil and cook them at 300 in pieces for about 20 minutes um uh, make sure the oven isn't hotter than 300 because they have a tendency to burn around the edges. I made a bunch of those. My grandson, who's eight, I brought up, you know, a, a container of them. He ate the entire container <laughs> in my short visit there. He said These are, So they're a great substitute for potato chips, or, and I didn't salt them you know most people would put a yeah. little salt on them but i don't add salt to them
1: but just and, olive oil is it uh, olive
2: just a little bit of olive oil you know mush it yeah. around and put them flat on a on a cookie yeah, sheet no
1: no double layer don't no no it's, you want it
2: you want it, and you they say to wash them now and then dry them you can't possibly wash them and dry them enough so that they won't steam when you pick something organically out of a garden you know, and it's a sunny day and it hasn't rained 20 minutes before, there's no need to wash them. Honestly, if there's some bug on it, you pick the bug off. there's a little bit of spider web, you pick it off. And then you're very assured of getting crispy chips. If you wash them and dry them, even if you put them in a salad spinner, they can't possibly get all those nooks and crannies and that moisture out of there. So, so I I suggest if people buy a, you need a lot of kale to make a small amount of chips because kale is mostly water. So when you, you know, you crisp them up, the water disappears and what's left is much less than the volume of what you started with. So, but that if people did that more, it's the simplest thing. You have a huge amount. You wouldn't need all those chips and pretzels and. And all that, you know, that heavy-duty fried stuff that is so bad for people. It's very healthy. You know, it did my heart such good to see Kingston
1: chomping down (laughs) on those kale chips. (laughs) So... Richard, right. you can see why it's good to have Suzanne on, right? Not only has she got that beautiful <laughs> voice, which is a female voice, which needs to be intersected, interjected with all our male voices. Here, here, Right. <laughs> but she's got all the background to go along with it when we're talking about organic and other things like that.
0: Well, it's great to also to have the uh, gastronomic uh, information coming in, you know, how to how to convert these wonderful yeah organic I things you into you know
2: how simple some of these things are you know they think yeah. well, how do you do that i mean it this is one of the you know it's a two step operation and then you have a product you know you don't have to really add anything but you know a, a, a tablespoon of olive oil and depending or a teaspoon if you use doing less kale chip you don't want them soaking in oil, but you'd like a, you know, a light coating in that. You just toss them around and lay them out flat. I mean, it is really quick and easy and very rewarding, you know, both, um, you know, gastronomically and nutritionally.
0: I want to uh, just introduce our gu- our next special guest, uh, Katie Poole from Masaro Family Farm in Wood- Woodbridge is with us. Katie, thanks
3: <clears throat> for Hi, joining,
0: joining the fun today.
3: Yes. Hi. How is everyone?
0: Good. You know, we have Guy Beardsley and Suzanne Dusing on the phones. And um, I'm here uh, my solo today without Chris Ferrios. Uh, just to remind everybody, I'm Richard Hill. And I'm about to cough, so there we go. Um, didn't do much good. Um, Katie, uh, you've had an interesting uh, seven months, I would say, uh, give us a, uh, an overview of the kind of journey you've been on through this uh, minefield of the pandemic and um, trying to navigate that and still run an operation up there in Woodbridge that serves the community and uh, functions as a kind of a educational but also, uh, you know, food source for, for so many people.
3: Yeah, so I was I think I was on very early um, at the onset of the pandemic and probably even mentioned them um, in the March or April time frame that when <clears throat> when the news came out and sort of all of us went into shutdown mode, um, we were able to um, very quickly create a mechanism to make some of our winter produce available directly to our customers. Typically, I mean, Guy, was talking, Guy and Suzanne were both talking about high tunnel growing, and Masaro is lucky enough to have six large high tunnels, which really... Um, augment our normal peak season CSA and allow us to continue growing in the winter months, things that are often of great appeal to restaurants. But since that market went away, we were able to divert that produce to an online store that we set up very quickly um, and, and even partnered with some other farms who had also similarly lost their sales outlets of restaurants and farmers markets. Um, Seacoast Mushrooms, Five Acre Farms with their dairy and eggs, um let's see a local pork provider before and after farms here in woodbridge and i'm forgetting the other one i'm thinking of right now but anyway we took about four other vendors and ourselves and put all that produce that selection available through a, a very you know quickly put up online store on square and um that has continued we did see Um, as the spring unfolded, a much stronger increase in the CSA subscription. So when we saw that restaurants weren't going to reopen and there was also still a lot of discussion and um, really trying to navigate how farmers markets could function, that really did not get ironed out until probably July. And so Because of the strong interest in more CSA subscriptions, we actually opted not to attend farmer's markets this year and really just focused on um, the store, maintaining that connection with customers who wanted to come here instead of going to a big supermarket, and the CSA. So our CSA grew by 20% this year, which is huge. Mm. Um, Yeah.
0: Incredible. Describe a little bit more about the mechanism of the online uh, cooperative you created with all these other farms so how does it work? People, you, you, you have a website. People go to the site. They see what's available each day or week, and then yes. they order it online.
3: Yes. So, and then what happens um, from the there? The farm manager maintains his relationships with those other vendors, and we also had, in addition to our fresh produce, we had things that we had preserved at Masaro with a processor, so crushed tomatoes, canned tomato sauce, and jarred salsa, honey, um, just a few extra things, but great staple and shelf-stable products that people were looking for last winter and spring. And absolutely um, delicious, so we... if I may
2: interject.
3: Go ahead. Abs- Abs- mm-hmm. The salsa
2: and, and uh, marinara sauce were exemplary, just so delicious.
3: And, and you know, you can use tomato sauce for just an unending number of dishes, right? It's so versatile. Mm-hmm, so, um, <clears throat> but what we did was, yes, just created a mechanism for people that we updated the store every Sunday, um, and people had a few days to order, and then we would shut it down on Wednesday, communicate with the other partners, and let them know what we needed. Stuff would get delivered here on Thursday, and Friday was the distribution. And then we were able to modify that a little bit during the summer with CSA pickup so that people who were coming on Tuesdays to get a CSA subscription could also get those orders on Tuesday.
0: So to be clear... All these other farms you mentioned four or five of them, they would bring their products to your distribution site and you would distribute everything from Masaro yes, okay, very interesting so
3: i mean that also that also did something else for us, which is you know in addition to you know being having a sales outlet and being able to bring our fresh produce and jarred products to our customers in the area. Um, it also allowed us to bring staff on a little bit sooner than we normally would have with more hours at a time when a lot of people were getting laid off or furloughed. So that's sort of the secondary benefit to being able to do what we did. <clears throat>
0: yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's amazing how the uh, in- innovation sort of kicked in uh, inventive uh Energies came came to the came to the fore just at the right moment, and and, and people really got creative. In
3: Necessity terms of. is the mother of invention. Yeah. I mean the farmers' markets, at least in our area here, ended up adopting a similar model initially, which was that they would they were really just connecting. So City Seed, who runs the farmers' markets in and around New Haven, was connecting um, customers to the the um, farmers who would normally come to the market, and they were only doing orders and pickup. So it was a drive-through pickup situation. They've since been able to you know, expand upon that a little bit for the second half of the, or the latter half of the season, but they adopted a very similar model. And it'll be very, I mean, I, I'll be honest and say that over the course of time, as we've gone through these various stages of reopening, we have seen those orders slow down and but still a lot of interest in the c s a subscription so we're mm-hmm. very keen to see because in recent years, I think a number of c s a s have seen sort of the whole idea of why it works is that people pay in well in advance of the season, but you know in this day and age, people often wait to the last minute for a lot of things yeah. um and so, CSAs have been struggling to get that advance commitment from customers. Um, we have had a lot of interest expressed through the the increase this year, and it'll be interesting to see how that impacts both the store and the CSA signups for the coming season. So we're about to open up registration for next spring, and we'll see what happens.
0: Did the pandemic affect in any way the type of things that you grew and and in terms of the farming that you had to do was there any i don't know modification or or uh, retrenchment in terms of well we can't grow this because it's just too you know it requires too much uh group activity or contact i mean did did, you, did your growing uh inventory change at all this year based on that uh
3: yes to the i mean guy i'm curious to hear how um you know you folks see the impact on staff but i know here we've had staff wearing masks and gloves all season long which you know was quite a challenge in the heat of july and august but the the impact on the growing itself was really i would say yes maybe to the tune of you know a tenth of what we grew so we typically grow things like green beans and snap peas and um some other things of that nature and have more a much bigger variety of the smaller tomatoes that we make available for you pick and we did not open a you pick area this year
1: mm-hmm. so okay katie can i ask question yeah yeah <clears throat> every may in past years you used to have a really great opening uh, market that uh, you invited us to, and uh, there was a whole bunch of other people, it was a really major event in the Macero Farm. And do you anticipate doing that um, next year?
3: Well, we certainly, I think, like you Guy, we hope that everything returns to normal by that time next year. That is the event that is sort of our seasonal kickoff, our Celebrate Spring, which is kind of a we do a big organic seedling plant sale and then you know you guys come and we have a number of other vendors here and there's music and it's very festive and there's some workshops happening and yes it is a really nice way for us to kind of kick off welcoming people in in large numbers back to the farm there's programming that starts here as early as march um but um we certainly hope that by next may we'll be able to do that we as we've Entered into phase three reopening. I mean, we've been able to, m- much of our programming has ceased this year. Um, we were able to continue adult workshops, which we operated remotely for people. And we, in September, we opened up registration for some outdoor only youth programs in very small numbers, so only eight children in a group. And we've seen a very strong interest in those activities probably because parents are seeing their kids in front of screens a lot and they're just willing and wanting anything that will allow their children to be able to continue to enjoy, enjoy the outdoors as long as possible. So we, have, we got filled up so quickly we opened up a couple other sessions, um, so we're really happy about that. But we were also, we've also put several group activities not quite as large as Celebrate Spring, but things that allow people to come and just enjoy the farm. So we had an outdoor movie screening, and last week we had Valley Shakespeare here performing several um, shows of Snow White, very well attended, beautiful weather, as we know. So people are definitely taking advantage, and we have one more event coming up next week, which I can go into later. But... um, But we hope, we hope soon. And and we do plan to continue to have things here over the winter as well, as long as weather continues to allow us to do so.
1: That's great. And I really appreciate it because that's the center of uh, community activities on the farm. Uh, Really very well done within the, I call uh, uh, your area within the valley, Naugatuck Valley, although it yeah. might be a little bit beyond that, but and it's not that far away because it is a, a mag. it's the only thing in the valley that uh, it functions that like way.
0: Katie, why don't you describe actually how you get to your farm because I've never been there and uh, I'd love to come out, but uh, I'm sure other people who know, you know, drive, oh, I drive up through, you know, Route 67, I'm in Woodbridge, or I'm, um, you know, visiting. Uh, uh, you know the the That reservoir up there Which I um, So it sits on the border of Woodbridge and Bethany uh, But h- how do you find Masaro Farm?
3: A um, couple different ways But pretty easy to get to So uh, a lot of people Don't realize that <clears throat> Many of the farmers Who come to the markets In and around New Haven Come from quite a distance away And we're one of the few farms That's very close Literally 15 minutes From downtown So Um, coming up Whaley, just from center of New Haven, for those listening, um, can really just follow Fountain Street, which heads up to Ansonia and then turns into Ansonia Road, is basically a straight shot out of New Haven, and we're one right turn off of Ansonia Road, which is also 243. So that's, like, the easiest way for people getting here from the New Haven area. But anyone coming on the Merritt or from other areas, you can – we are on Ford Road, which, as I mentioned, is off of Ansonia Road, and it's very easy to get to. It's about a five-minute ride off of the Merritt Parkway exit, the exit for Derby, which I don't remember the exact number, but um, I think it's 56, Um So just two to three miles off the Merritt from that direction, and if you're coming from the eastern side or 67 or 63, you can take... Um, Route one fourteen, which is Center Road, um, through Woodbridge, and that basically brings you over to Fountain Road, which then brings you to the farm. So, not difficult to find at all, um, from east, west, south, <laughs> or north.
0: What What's the website for the farm?
3: Massarofarm.org.
0: Beautiful. So, um, and and are you you said you're still do, are you still doing uh, online distribution? of uh, whatever produces and, and products you still are uh, Yeah,
3: so we are in the 18th week of our seasonal CSA, and that means we've got a couple more weeks of the regular subscription period to go. Um, that usually, that's typical for us to go through the end of October. And depending on how much we're harvesting, um, we will often offer a three- to four-week extension, So i'm waiting to hear from farmer steve what that's going to look like and if we'll be able to do that as well we've been doing that the last several years which takes us basically through the end of november um but yes we have the the store continues to remain open um uh, we've even partnered with our fruit partner high hill orchard out of meriden they were able to bring us like apples and cider late last winter and (laughs) i heard that we're going to be getting cider from them again so that's something that will probably be in the store. And the store itself is masarofarm.square.site. So that's a separate location, but you can get to it from our website.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the growing and distribution of organic apples in Connecticut? I find it to be that it's, it's a pretty rare item.
3: It is rare. I think it's rare, and, and Guy might speak to this even more fully than, than I can, because I we the only thing we grow here on the farm or fully organically is strawberries, um, and that's probably because there's a fair amount. Well, their skins are very thin, so you don't want to spray them if you don't have to. Um, they are one of those things that are the clean 15, um, and <clears throat> um, they're also – a little bit easier to protect if you you can cover them with remay. You can grow them in a high tunnel, unlike fruit trees, which need to be exposed to the outside. I I don't know personally of any farmer that's growing purely organically. Um, often they are doing something else, which we've talked about on this program on other occasions, which is integrated pest management, which is a very low key and minimal method of some spraying because fruit, especially. Stone fruits and fruits on trees um, just get attacked by worms and other pests. So um, it's when you're growing on a scale to distribute commercially, it's very, very, if not impossible, difficult, if not impossible, um, to do organic. Yeah, I, I, I do can to that uh, add to that,
1: that. My brother has about seven thousand, I guess eight thousand apple trees, and he sprays them all. And so, uh, but I, I used to have about ten apple trees. And uh, up to about uh, four years ago, uh, they I was getting some really good apples out of them, but about four years ago, uh, they started picking up the fire blight that, uh, my, mm-hmm. that uh, my brothers of uh, trees had, and of course, he sprays for it, and I won't, And I, although there are some things which uh, I think I can use, I just took all of it, because for every year, they were picking up fire blight, and I wasn't getting any apples at all for the last three years. So I last year, I just took all the apple trees out. And uh, What used. is it,
2: dolomite you can use as a low-input uh, dolomite on apples? There was a fellow in Southbury who informally had a, an orchard in his backyard, and he used... Um, uh, Dolomite kaolin, kaolin or dolomite. Maybe it was kaolin. It was clay. It was basically clay. Yeah,
1: and, uh, kaolin is clay. Yeah, yeah kaolin. Right. Yeah,
2: and um, and the apples were always kind of white. You know, you had to dust them off and before you washed them and stuff, and, you know, that was a lot less. But one more thing about High Hill Orchard, I mean, I've known Wayne Young for 40 years, and... For apples in Connecticut, his are the cleanest probably around. We used to um, sell them at the farmers market when we, you know, years ago when we did that, and they would sell out. His peaches as well, you know. So, and you can also go, I believe, on Fridays and Saturdays, and pick your own up there. I don't. You'd have to check his website, but um, I was up there some weeks ago, and um, he has some beautiful beautiful apples one more thing about apples you know I have a couple of uh, friends who were raised in Europe and as kids they never had an apple that didn't have a wormhole in it or some insect you know Mm -hmm. no one expected to see these perfectly round you know uh, spherical wax uh, specimens that we see in the supermarket that, are, you know, are really not very flavorful or very good for you. So, you know, we've had to compromise because, you know, we're used to high-quality fruit. But um, the only organic growers of apples that I know are up in, in uh, Vermont. In Vermont, right, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Michael, Michael somebody, he wrote yes. a book. Yes. Um, I once went to a workshop that he gave at NOFA. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. But you can, you can um, Google organic apples in Vermont, and his name will come up, I'm sure.
0: It would be interesting to check out what the growing practices are, because, you know, you can go into the big uh, organic markets in, in our area and find a, a huge selection of organic, purportedly organic apples of you know, different varieties. And they all, they all seem to be coming from the Pacific Northwest, but it would be interesting to and they look, you know, you mentioned, you know, they're looking, apples looking a little wormy and and off off, yeah, cent, off center and all that. You know, I I I pick it, when I go hiking. I, I sometimes find a wild apple tree, and I'll eat around the wormhole. Because uh, I know I'm eating an organic apple and it's, right. it's great, but you know when you go to those stores, the apples look perfect and they're you know they're shiny and bright. Yeah,
2: it is suspicious.
0: So what do you you know what's the, what are they doing that the Northeast folks can't do? That's what I want to know. Well,
2: that's the problem with long-distance organic agriculture, right there in a nutshell, Richard, isn't it? That you really don't know the farmer and you don't. Yeah,
0: you don't know, but the
2: practices and you know. Uh, unless you you know um you should know your farmer you know you should make have a relationship with your farmer and uh know where your food's coming from it's a basic tenet in my life and probably yours too guy
1: <laughs> well there's no doubt about that we uh, we we like to consider that we are honest and uh truthful about all that we grow and that uh, we sell so that uh, you know, if you want something organic, you're going to get it organic, uh-huh. and you're going to get it in our case without any pesticides uh, at all. Even though there are a number of pesticides which which are available and are used when and can be used uh, organically, uh, this is one of the things which I want to talk to Mark Castle about because he is uh, right at the center of the USDA's modifications on and uh, the organic standards that uh, were set up Well the, the USDA
2: is suspect. They've bastardized the organic standards uh to accommodate um you know uh industrial agriculture as much as we can barely stand to discuss. <laughs> so, you mm-hmm. know, that's where regenerative agriculture has come in and all of these other movements to, you know, um keep the integrity in organics rather than the mass marketing. That's going on now. You know, it's been co-opted because it's it's a moneymaker on the, on the larger agricultural scale. And
0: yeah, to to the tune of uh, that's
2: why know your farmer.
0: Billions and billions of dollars are being made by these uh, huge, purportedly yeah. organic operations. Believe me, yeah.
2: nobody cared what we did back in the day when you know organic was just this you know kind of like fringe movement. Uh, you know, it was based entirely on integrity and honesty, and, and you know things were inspected, and there was, but it was um, much less
1: of an issue than you know yeah. it is now because. Well, when my father was growing apples, uh, he was he, he was the original apple grower on the farm here. Uh, <clears throat> every spring, he would get out his uh, lime and sulfur and uh, arsenic and lead, <laughs> and uh, he'd spray the trees. But you know, in those days. Uh, the water could wash that stuff off, and uh, we had no problem in uh, in uh, selling uh, any of those apples. But uh, the uh, the um, progressive organizations that are growing apples have uh, developed a situation in which they've had to use a lot more pesticides, and unfortunately, a lot more effective pesticides than uh, and then these things are. Get right inside the all the products that you're trying to uh, to save, and uh, of course we know that that's part of our. Yeah, it's
3: a nasty business.
1: Yeah, for sure.
3: Right. It really has been a, a huge sacrifice, as you were saying, Suzanne, on flavor. Like oh. I know the the peaches and apples we get from High Hill have been really really tasty, and when you try to buy even um, uh, what's the Dresen in in Cheshire? Uh, getting peaches from there this summer. Now, I know they do some spraying, but still, getting something local, and it's smaller, and they might not be the perfect shape, but the flavor, I mean, eating something in season when it's grown, you know, 10 miles from where you live, rather than shipped across country when it's has oh, yeah. out of season, is just incredible. And most people have, it's, it's been such a gradual shift in supermarkets that I think most people don't
2: even realize it. But they realize it when, you know, back in the day, you were allowed to put out sliced peaches, and we used to... Uh, put out uh, Wayne's peaches on a on a dish for people, and anybody who, those peaches would sell out in the first half hour. Anybody who tasted those peaches who didn't come specifically to buy them, we had to limit the number of you know containers. People How much could they could take. take. Yeah. The minute they tasted them, so you would say things like, "I've never tasted a peach that tasted as good as this because it was just picked, grown locally, and grown without." Um, any much inputs,
3: you know, very Wayne is really, really careful. Um, the other thing, Richie, were asking me about was how else our operation changed this summer. And I will say that as a, as a public space, the farm often gets a lot of volunteer engagement, and that's everything from like Girl Scout groups to employees at work doing community service days or wanting to do projects to support the farm to Boy Scouts. Um, there's a huge range of people and even job training programs that bring people to the farm. And we only had maybe four to six volunteers this year on an individual basis. So that was a huge impact for us as well, because not so essential to the farming operation itself, but to all of sort of the the maintenance of the periphery and things like the nature trail and our learning garden area where education and hands-on workshops normally happen. I mean, without that engagement, it really created more work for staff which in some ways was good we we ended up even hiring more people in the peak of the season so more expense on the staff side more people working but a lot less people being able to be engaged here so that was another way that which we saw um you know fewer people on the farm this year and we miss people it's so hard not to embrace you know to not have those people here to embrace and engage with, because it's so much a part of what we do and what's happening. As Guy mentioned, like just the one event, but there's so much that happens all season long with people coming here and using this space for learning opportunities. So we're really hoping to return to that soon. In the meantime, we'll we'll continue these small group programs, our adult workshops. And if I might, because I know we're going to end soon, I'm just going to make one more plug for that outdoor event we're happening. We're having next weekend, which is a, Um, an outdoor concert um, with the Jolly Beggars. They're a regional Irish and Celtic band. Um, Lots of fun. We'll get you up and moving. And right, it's supposed to be next Friday, the 23rd, I believe, which is 6 to 8 p.m. We're really excited because the forecast all next week looks fantastic. Tickets are still available. You can get them through our website. And there's even an added-on sort of party box with snacks and charcuterie and drinks that you can get from... Ordinary and Ulmo in New Haven to add on but it is a big bring your own event so people are welcome to bring picnics um, and there's a limit of only a hundred people so I'm sure it will go very quickly
0: and that's an outdoor event
1: that's a completely outdoor event mm-hmm. yep Katie, what do you, what do you guys do about deer? I've just uh, I've always had a huge deer problem.
0: Just want to give you the one and a half minute warning here. Sure. Yeah. Okay.
1: Right, we got that. Well, <laughs> guy, we're lucky enough
3: that we actually have eight foot deer fencing around all of the crops. That's that's a couple it. areas. Well, eight
1: foot deer fencing. Okay, that's the mm-hmm. way to answer. Right. Yep. Yeah.
3: <laughs> that is the answer to deer. Yeah.
2: <laughs> eight foot uh, fence around the entire perimeter.
3: Yeah. It does create another issue, which is maintaining the fence so it doesn't get overgrown, (laughs) knocked down, et cetera. But that's an aside. That's a whole other conversation. For every solution, there's another problem. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been a great conversation, Katie. We we, uh, really enjoy catching up with you, and we will not allow too much time to go by before we have you come back and give us another update. It's great to feel that the... um, the life force coming from your farm and your community and and that whole world that that kind of revolves around that kind of an operation. So thank you so much. Katie Poole from Masaro Farm. It's Mas, Mas, far Masa, org. Is that right? Yes,
3: that's it. And, okay. and, and Suzanne, enjoy your carrots. <laughs> they are the best carrots I've ever. I and know. They're, they're my the favorite. I have they're to also cut, I favorite. Have to, I have to bisect
2: them. They're so fat. <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> delicious. Thank you very much for sharing the harvest
1: with me. I appreciate it.
0: And Guy, uh, have a great week. We'll talk to you all soon. Right. Yeah. Like,
1: that's gonna be on the fifth of November, Richard.
0: Oh, oh, thank you very much. Right two days after election day. Okay. Good luck everybody. Talk yes, to you all dear, soon. Dear,
1: be well, be safe.
2: Bye. Bye bye. I
0: tell you it's intuitive, baby. primitive. Organic love. Hundred percent natural, baby. Organic love. Hundred percent natural.
2: WPKN Programming is supported by Novamont, a Connecticut company, manufacturers of MatterBee, a family of completely biodegradable and compostable bioplastics, which are being used to provide low-environmental impact solutions for everyday products. More information is available at materbi.com slash en.
1: This
0: is the gaia Environmental headlines from around a planet in crisis.
1: The World Economic Forum reports in a new study that over the past two decades, Greenland's ice sheet has been losing ice at a higher rate of speed per century. The scale of loss from the Greenland ice sheet will be higher this century than in any other over the past 12,000 years. However, the study shows that the rate of mass loss still depends heavily on future greenhouse gas emissions. The ice sheet could lose ice up to four times faster if global emissions remain very high, rather than if global climate mitigation
3: goals are met.